Thanks for joining Fred and I for another episode of Draw Near. And, you know, Fred and I are very intentional about what we talk to all of you about. I hope you can tell with each episode that that's the case because we often will offer Draw Near up as like a mass intention or we will pray over each topic or potential topics. And there have been multiple times actually where it's like we intend to cover one topic and then like one day before recording, God's like, "Mm, nope, I want you to do something else. And this was actually what happened this week, which is why we're kind of off our usual every other Wednesday schedule. So I hope that's okay. Um, But I actually really like this because I think it just brings like way more joy and energy into our topics that we talk about because we know it is from the Lord. So for this episode, we tabled our intended topic because we had this sense like, I want you to talk about something else. And Fred and I actually both stumbled on a Facebook post of one of our friends, Marcel Lejeune. And he's a great person to follow, especially if you work in ministry. But his post was about community, accompaniment, and he like pointed to some reasons why people leave the faith relating to community and accompaniment. And it brought us back to a topic that God had previously tabled for us to pick up a different one, but it was pretty clear that like now is the time to talk about this. So we want to talk about relationships, friendships, and really like the roles of people that we need to have in our life. And we're going to end with practical stuff, answering the question like, okay, now that I know all of these people I need in my life or these roles that need to be filled, where do I go from here? Because we don't want to leave you with this excitement but also discouragement at the same time. We want to answer those important questions for you. And I think this topic of, of community is really important because as humans, like we have this natural desire to be in communion with God, absolutely, but also with each other. And as much as it kind of pains me to say this, like the Catholic Church is not known for its fellowship. I hope nobody is offended that I say that because maybe you are great at this, maybe your parish is great at this, but the reality in general is that the Catholic Church is not known for amazing fellowship. It's really unfortunate actually because in the Eucharist we are wholly united to God and we are wholly united to each other in the mystical body of Christ. But even though we have that mystical communion, we don't really have that tangible and present community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, Kara, that's certainly true. I mentioned on a previous podcast being a convert, and I know in my, um, the last church I was a part of, 17,000 members in that church, um, more than 50% uh, were former Catholics or, or uh, well, still Catholic technically, but wow. but had left the church. And what a lot of them would point to when you when you asked them why they left the church, they would say, I was good, I was a good Catholic. And they meant that in a negative sense, like I did all of the things, but I wasn't being fed. There was something I was lacking. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think ultimately, although they might articulate that in various ways, I really think the thing that they're really getting at is a lack of a sense of relationships that really matter. Um, mm-hmm. That is what we're all called to, meaningful relationships. But as you mentioned, we're made for relationship. We're made for relationship with God. We're made for relationship with others. We see that right in the beginning of Scripture. It is not good for man to be alone. We are made for relationship. And so, as, as Marcel points out in his post uh, a few weeks ago, he asked that question, where is the community, the relationship, the friendship, the accompaniment, and the genuine compassion that people need right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue is they have no real intimate Catholic friends to share this burden even after many years 
uh, he's talking about church leaders here. But I think the same goes true. Many people in have been Catholics their whole life, and, and they feel this sense that something is missing. Mm. And I think what, what people uh, perceive as not being fed, in a lot of ways it's that. They're, they're referring to that relationship with God. And really, a lot of our experience of our relationship with God is through others. Yeah. We experience the love of God through others. Um, there's a bit of an irony in here in that because as Catholics we have the Eucharist, not only are we united to Christ, but we should also be even better at being united to each other. We should be even better at those relationships and that communion with each other. Well, those are the two main commandments that God gives too: love God and love your neighbor. But you can't do one without the other. We don't know how to wholly live in charity with our brothers and sisters without loving Christ. And when we love Christ, when we love God, it should show through our love for others and through community. So they go hand in hand. You're right, Kara. St. John of the Cross, he says, in the end, we will be judged by our love. And this shows that our relationships are something we are to be good stewards of. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the greatest commandment, love God, love neighbors. Uh, by your love for one another, the world will, will know that you're my disciples. I mean, this is pointing at the importance of relationships. You can't have love without another person there. You know, you need that connectedness. And again, that's one of the points... Marcel makes here in his post. He says the vast majority of fallen away Catholics left the active reception of the sacraments because something non-sacramental was missing. And that non-sacramental thing that was missing in most cases is that sense of meaningful relationships. It is that sense of community. Yeah, you referenced Marcel's post and he said that a common reason that people leave is that there's not this intimate Catholic friendship. And so we want to talk about four different roles that we need to have in our life, but also when we're talking about these roles and what they mean and what they look like, think to yourself, okay, do I have this role fulfilled in my life? But also think, am I that person to somebody else? So those four roles are Paul, Timothy, Barnabas, and Silas. Fred, let's start with Paul. What does it mean to have a Paul or to be a Paul? Again, just reiterating your point. I think when we talk about this, Paul, Timothy, Barnabas, Silas, at the heart of this is the realization that we need healthy relationships to live out our calling well. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about those roles, we would articulate it this way. Paul, God uses Paul to guide us, Timothy to help mature us, and Barnabas to help encourage us and challenge us when we need it. Now, I'm sure we're going to dive deeper in that here in a second. Otherwise, that'd be a really short podcast. But, um, but you yeah. got it. You good? You, all right. Let's move on. No, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the end. We'll see you next week, folks. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, that that's kind of at the heart of this, uh, and I think we we have to start talking about Paul because he is the epitome of what a mentor should look like. Uh, Barnabas was an excellent example as well, but we'll get to that later. Otherwise, <laughs> it'll get really confusing. But Paul, as gifted as he was, it wasn't the Paul show. You know, he really, you see it throughout Scripture, he very intentionally invested his life in and poured out his life into others and helped them grow and mature in the faith and equipped and empowered them to do the same thing to others. You see this example throughout all of Scripture as well. Uh, In the life of Moses, you see it with Joshua, Naomi with Ruth, Elijah with uh, Elisha or Elisha, if you prefer, uh, and certainly Jesus with his 12 disciples. So this, this idea of mentoring, 
of handing on the faith, of discipling another person in the apprenticeship of the faith, that is really at the core of all that we believe about how the faith is supposed to be communicated and how we are to live our uh, life, how we live our calling well. You see it throughout Scripture. Paul is just a really good example, so this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time. There's a specific passage in Acts, too, where, like, Paul just names his company. Like, he just names everybody who's with him. So I think that that goes to your point, too. Like, he's not a one-man show. Yeah, and when we talk about needing a Paul, um, we all need a Paul in our life. This is pointing out that we all long for someone to truly listen to us. Uh, We do long for... Um, although sometimes our actions might seem otherwise, we really do long for that gentle nudge or that big shove um, that we sometimes <laughs> need in the right direction. For me, it's more often a big shove. You know, me too. But Kara, you also mentioned uh, that we all need to be these people too. So we all need a Paul, but we also need to be a Paul to someone else. We'll explain what this means a little more here in a second, but I, I think our, this is, again, where we rub against our culture and our tendencies because many people aren't interested in helping someone else get ahead uh, because they're afraid that it will somehow diminish themselves. Uh, I think of uh, years ago when I worked in retail and I worked with folks that they didn't want other people to know the information that they needed because, well, then they would know more than them and, you know, they're somehow their job's in jeopardy. You know, I think there, right. we encounter those things in everyday life. It takes many forms, but there's this fear of other people getting ahead of us. But Paul's the exact opposite. And Kara, I think you articulate this point much better than, than I do, that a Paul is somebody who is willing to invest his life into another person with the hope that that person will not only go on and do likewise, but even greater things. And I don't know if you want to add anything to that. No, that's exactly it. I think Paul is the epitome of a disciple who is creating disciples. And so this isn't just like, well, okay, I don't work in ministry, so I can't do this. This is everybody is called to be a disciple. Everybody is called to this mission. And so when we invest in somebody as a Paul, as Paul does, it's investing in them not with the intention like, I clearly know more than you, so I'm going to come in and I'm going to lead you. Right. It's We're coming in with the intention mm-hmm. that like, I am going to invite you into my life and share my life with you. I'm going to be vulnerable with you because I'm going to show you like, I want to teach you something, but I also have messed up and I've learned from these things. Right. And the whole idea behind that is to build up more disciples to, yes, like you said, Fred, to become you maybe potentially replace you, not have that fear, but ultimately to surpass you. Yeah. Again, we we see that example with Paul. Um, You you talked about sharing your struggles. Again, this is also a point Marcel makes, the need for vulnerability and a place Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable. If there was anybody that expressed his struggles, it was Paul. You know, I am the worst of all sinners. Uh, the thing, the things that I want to do, I don't. That that whole part of, uh, I believe it's in Romans. Uh, yeah, he calls himself the least of the apostles. Yeah, yeah just a very, very humble, very vulnerable right. man. Yeah, and so when you have a Paul that not only shares with you the good things, the triumphs of their experience, but is also vulnerable with you about their struggles, it helps to form you, and then that in itself you're learning from their experience. They're a little bit further ahead in the journey, and there's much you can learn from that, and we, we all need that. 
Now, we could see that as that Paul person is someone that's older than us, but that's not necessarily the case. It just means they're a little further ahead in the walk with Christ than we are. Oftentimes, it will be they're older, but that is certainly not a condition, a requirement. It's just they're more mature in the faith, and age doesn't necessarily equate to spiritual maturity. So um, that's an important point to point out. I also think, Kara, some of someone might be listening and they, they feel intimidated already because we've said we all need a Paul in our life. I think that's easy to accept. We all recognize that we need someone to mentor us in many ways. At least most of us do, probably. At the same time, warring against that, I think, is a, a fear to be that mentor person and speak truth into someone's life when it's difficult. Uh, you know, I can think of an example where Um, Someone that was that Timothy for me had a difficult decision to make, and I'm not being the Paul I'm supposed to be and um, wanting what's best for them rather than just coming right out and sharing what I think uh, is the right decision. And, um, you know, it really took, and and this is where that relation, the dynamics of that relationship come in. It really took this person saying, no, I want you to tell me what you think, you know, mm-hmm. and and then being willing to share that and to, to speak that into their life. So he's trying to dance around it. I was that Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> I was that Timothy and I had a dis- difficult decision to make. And so I took it to prayer and it just got to the point where like I was inviting him into that because I very much do see Fred as a Paul to me. And we're, we'll kind of get into how this like is, is cyclical. These roles can kind of be filled by a, a similar person. Um, but yeah, like being that Timothy and inviting him into this decision and this difficult thing that I was going through. And it seriously was, I was just like, I want you to tell me what you think. (laughs) And, but that was like me taking it to the level where like, look, I trust you. And I, you know, I'm looking for your insight. Right. And, and that's a point too, to consider with, you know, these on vulnerability, like earning the right to be, uh, heard to speak into someone's life that is a process of growing in as well and earning that trust uh, with each other but that comes through vulnerability absolutely and I think as you say too like this can kind of be a little bit intimidating because like we need a Paul but we also need to be a Paul and so going back to that reference in Romans where Paul calls himself out and he calls himself I am the least of the apostles and he says I am the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church of God Mm -hmm. and says this is Romans 15, 8, if you want to go look at that. I actually take a lot of comfort from that because we're saying, like, you have to be like Paul. Well, we see Paul as this, like, amazing evangelist, this amazing saint, um, this amazing holy man who leads so many people to the church, basically like a, the founder of the early mm-hmm. church and the writer of so many books in the New Testament. But he sees himself as a murderer and somebody who persecuted God himself. And that's what Jesus says on the road to Damascus. Mm-hmm. He says, why are you persecuting me? Well, he wasn't persecuting Jesus himself. He was persecuting Christians, which is where we get, you know, the body of Christ theology there. But I, I actually take a lot of comfort in this because in his humility, it's like, hey, look at how much God's grace and God's love transforms you. Mm-hmm. And so God can do so much in my sin and in my mess, and I can still be a Paul and still help lead somebody. So don't let like discouragement in your own life. Don't let worry that, you know, you're such a great sinner that God can't do anything through you 
stop you from being a Paul because that's not true. Yeah, and I can tell you, like Kara just said, uh, I, I've been a Paul to her, um, which to be honest with you, I've, that can feel overwhelming even to me. And, and there, there have been times where I've been oh, like... Oh, stop. It's like <laughs> your natural tendency yeah, to yeah, be a Paul. Yeah, I'll... Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, You're so good at it. <laughs> I'll accept it humbly. But yeah, I, I think there have been moments, though, where I, I've had to show my faults and be, and be real and be honest with them, them yeah. and, and say, Kara, I'm sorry, I fell short in this way. And... Um, you know, if there's anybody that knows my faults better that doesn't live in my house, I don't know who it would be. I mean, you know those <laughs> faults well. Um, and I think that's part of that process, too. And I say all that just to say you don't have to be perfect to be that Paul. Absolutely. Um, and if you're looking for a perfect Paul, you're never going to find it. But mm-hmm. you do need one. You need that person in your life. And it should be somebody that is somebody that can listen well. What I mean by that is truly listen, um, not listening to judge, not listening to condemn, um, not listening to assume negative intention. And I say all those examples because that's how the world is teaching us to listen. Yeah. If social media demonstrates anything, it's we listen to judge, we listen to condemn, we listen to read negative intentions into everything. But you need someone to truly listen to your heart and listen to what you're saying. God gave us, it's kind of a cliche, but it's true. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? And the same goes with us. Um, The best mentors I've ever seen are ones that ask a million questions. And that's a lot of what they do. And it's amazing how those, when those questions are asked, what they draw out of you in those questions. Well, I think that's a good transition to talk about then what a Timothy looks like, because a Paul is somebody who listens But a Timothy is somebody who's sharing with the intent of wanting to change and grow spiritually. So what are some of the qualities that a Timothy would have, Fred? A Timothy is going to be someone that's eager to grow in relationship with Christ. They're going to uh, be open to a relationship with you as a Paul. Uh, They're also going to be humble, teachable. Uh, and able to able and willing to receive and share with you the journey of life, the journey of the walk with Christ, if you will. Yeah, a Timothy is somebody who, in relation to ourselves, a Timothy is somebody who we are accompanying, who we are encouraging, who we are investing. So this is where when we say you need a Paul and you have to be a Paul, if we have a Timothy, that means we're a Paul. So a role in our lives that we need to do this thing that we're talking about, where we desire this relationship with God, we desire this relationship with one another, is to have a Timothy, and it's to have somebody in our lives who we are very intentionally investing in and very intentionally inviting to be a part of our life, but it, it that is reciprocated, and they are inviting us as a Paul to be mm. a part of their life. Yeah, it quite literally is someone you are pouring your life into. Mm-hmm. I don't think these roles necessarily have to immediately be like, okay, I'm going to be your Paul. I'm going to teach you everything about the faith. Or like, mm. I'm going to I'm gonna have a Timothy and like, I'm going to teach them everything about the faith. You know, it doesn't always have to be faith related. And I just think of like a personal example for me where um, I'm the godmother and the sponsor of a young convert. I won't say that I'm her Paul because I think that's for her to prayerfully discern. But sh- I definitely view her as a Timothy because I want to pour my life into her. And I have seen that she trusts me 
to do that. It didn't always start that way. It was seriously like we met for coffee and we just like got to know each other and shared our stories and our lives. And even now, after having built that relationship through her conversion and through coming into the faith, you know, we'll reach out to each other like once a week and just be like, hey, how are things going? And from there, it turns into like, I'm really struggling with this or I had a question about this. So it doesn't always have to be like, you know, do you have any theological questions for me? It's just like really a personal relationship. It really is. It is rooted in sharing life together and walking that journey of life together. We're all called to make disciples. Carrie, you mentioned that earlier. By virtue of our baptism, we are called to make disciples. And making disciples ultimately means saying, Jesus loves you, yes, but I'm so compelled by that love for you and for me that I will be here by your side every step of the way on our shared journey to heaven. And that is what it, that's what it looks like to be a Paul. Um, But that, that's also what it looks like to be a Timothy because you're the one that's receiving that love. I think it's what it looks like to be a Barnabas and a Silas too. I mean, if we could like just sum up all of these different roles, it's just like inviting people into your life and sharing your life with these people. Absolutely. And by the way, that's the way Jesus did it. Yeah. Uh, Going back to to Marcel's post, if I could, Kara, if you don't mind. Oh, that's fine. He said, how did Jesus raise up disciples? By living life with them for three years, by knowing them deeply, by teaching them, by being an example to them, by holding them accountable, by challenging them, by forgiving them by apprenticing them to do the same. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what Jesus did. He he had all of these roles. Okay, we're talking about Paul and like people in relation to Paul, but Jesus had these roles too. And I mean, Jesus was like the first Paul who was investing in all of these these men and all of these disciples. And that's exactly what he does. He invites them into his life. And so all of these roles we're talking about, Paul, Timothy, Barnabas, Silas, that's at the heart of it, is just sharing your life with somebody. So if we can... Um, what does a Barnabas look like? I think that's essentially what it is. It's this person who is walking at your side and you're sharing your life with one another. Yeah. Uh, a Barnabas is that person that encourages you, holds you accountable in your faith and your life. Um, Barnabas actually means son of encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a mutual friendship, a, a spiritual friendship. Sometimes it's referred to as, but it is characterized by that encouragement and, and accountability it's the Barnabas that's going to encourage you when you feel doubt, uh, when you feel inadequate, when you're tired, when you're discouraged. It's your it's your Barnabas that's in the trenches there with you on this journey uh, of life that will help you see the gifts within you when others don't. Mm-hmm. And I think especially help you see the gifts in you when you don't. Barnabas is your a lot of ways, your best friend, That's it's right there by your side. I think we see that in scri- scripture as well, because in Acts 9, starting in verse 26, Paul is going and he's being brought in front of the disciples and they're afraid of him. And Barnabas actually stands up for Paul and he gives an account of what he's been doing and how boldly he's been teaching about Jesus because they're afraid of him because he was persecuting Christians. Mm -hmm. And Barnabas stands up for him. He encourages him and he encourages other people to trust him. And that's exactly what it is. It's somebody who is going to encourage you and who's going to stand up for you. You know, I mentioned this, that these roles can kind of shift. I very much see Fred as a Paul, but he's shifted to a Barnabas where we're really in the trenches together. Mm -hmm. And just an example of this is like, we were out for a meeting 
And one of my favorite scripture passages is 1 Timothy 4.12, where it says, Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. One of my favorite passages, this is Paul encouraging Timothy because Timothy is much younger and he doesn't want him to be discouraged because of his youth. And Fred and I were out for a meeting and it was like comment after comment where it was like, well, you're young, you're not quite there yet, or you don't quite understand. And Fred just slid me a piece of paper and written on it was 1 Timothy 4.12. And that is such a Barnabas move because it was like in that silent movement, in that silent action, he was encouraging me while in the trenches. I don't know how to respond to that, Kara. It's a beautiful story. (laughs) It is. Thanks for it. You know, that was all you. So that's exactly what a Barnabas is. Um, one thing that Barnabas does as well with Paul is he was almost like, we said, Jesus is the first Paul. And then we say, be a Paul. So this is going to get really confusing. So I hope you can follow along. But Barnabas was actually a Paul to Paul because a Paul is somebody who lifts you up. And as we said, brings you to them or potentially surpasses the Paul. And Barnabas does this with Paul because we see this in Acts nine through 12, essentially, we see Barnabas really being the one that like is trusted to go out and do ministry. And in 11, in Acts 11, Barnabas is sent to Antioch. And I think this is so funny. And there's such a life lesson in here. Barnabas is sent to Antioch and he gets there and he sees the number of followers of the Lord. And he's just overwhelmed by it. And he realizes I can't do this by myself. And he goes to Tarsus and he gets Paul. And then they go and they preach together in Antioch. Again, they're in the trenches together. But the lesson here is like, I need to pause what God is calling me to do because I realize I can't do it by myself. And I realize the right people are not in place to do it. And so he pauses it, goes to get Paul, and then comes back and they do this together. Hmm. And in this, we see in scripture that Barnabas is kind of the one leading. In Acts 13, it says Barnabas, and then it lists all of his company traveling with him, and the last person is Paul. But then in Acts 13, verse 13, it switches to Paul and his company. So we kind of see this progression of like Barnabas intentionally investing in Paul, bringing him in to do ministry together, and Barnabas is leading, and then Paul surpasses Barnabas, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what we want. Mm -hmm. So he was like essentially Paul's Paul. And I love that. I think that's a beautiful example of what it looks like to be in the trenches with somebody because it's never going to be like, I'm above you and I'm going to stay above you. I'm below you. It's always like we're side by side and I'm going to lead you to be better. Amen. Yeah, side by side is the key. It really is. I think of the road to Emmaus. One is not ahead of the other. They're always side by side. Kara, one thing that stand well, two things actually that stand out to me uh, in your story with Paul, adding to what a Barnabas is. A Barnabas is someone that doesn't give up on people easily. Yeah. Barnabas did not give up on Paul, clearly. But a Barnabas is also someone that will challenge you when you are wrong. <laughs> and I, I think we see this happen in Scripture because Paul and Barnabas end up going their separate ways, and it's all over a disagreement over John Mark. And John Mark, Barnabas, wants him to to go with them on their missionary journeys, and Paul does not. But I think in, in that we see Barnabas sees the potential there for John Mark, and Barnabas isn't willing to give up on John Mark. Fast forward toward the end of the, uh, Paul's life, what do we read? Paul giving praise for John Mark. The same John Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. 
So when, when I mentioned earlier that, you know, a Barnabas is, is someone that sees those gifts when others don't, um, that's certainly something I, I'm, I'm pointing at. But there's no substitute for those, those friendships, those relationships in the trenches with us, those friends that we can share with. Kara mentioned those, these roles can change. Um, the Timothy often can become the Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're doing Paul right, they should become a Barnabas. They should become the Barnabas. That's mm-hmm. absolutely correct, Kara. Mm-hmm. And Kara, we mentioned our friendship. Um, I think that moment when you challenged me mm-hmm. was kind of, that was the shift for us. I, I really think so, as you were talking about it, because it really were. You, you challenged me. I was wrong. I ended up apologizing. Uh, <laughs> something you forgot about until I mentioned it yesterday, I think, but yeah. I'm not positive. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you see that happen there, uh, that a Barnabas isn't just all about encouraging you. A Barnabas will also challenge you when you are wrong because we need that. We need that accountability. Mm -hmm. So a Barnabas is in the trenches with you, but I think that uh, phrase that we're saying with him also applies to Silas and even maybe even more so to Silas Mm because we're talking about the trenches. So what is a Silas? A Silas is, think to Acts 16. I encourage everyone to check this out. But when Paul and Silas, they're on a missionary journey, and they end up in prison after being stoned, I believe. Yep. They're, they're in prison, they're shackled, and I, I believe Scripture says about midnight, they begin to sing praise to God, uh, rejoicing. And what happens? The shackles fall off, there's an earthquake, the prison gates are opened, and it ends up leading to the gospel being proclaimed, and a, and a, a lot of people coming to faith in Christ. But what we're getting at with this story is the Silas is the person that in the midst of your suffering helps you to turn your eyes toward heaven and rejoice in the Lord despite the suffering. Mm -hmm. A Silas is somebody who's rejoicing with you in the suffering, who is able to turn your eyes to the Lord, exactly as you said, Fred, because Silas is right next to Paul when he is getting stoned Mm -hmm. and he's right next to him in prison. But a Silas doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who comes in and is a fixer and has to change the situation to help you. I think we see this actually in scripture because they start praying, they start singing hymns to the Lord and the gates are open and they don't escape. They don't leave prison. And the guard wakes up and he sees that the gates are open and he's actually about to take his own life because otherwise the Romans will take his own life. And Paul actually yells out and he's like, no, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. All of the prisoners were still there. So even though their situation changed and that the gates were open, it wasn't a fixing, let's like, let's break us out of prison. It was just like, they were just rejoicing in the midst of their suffering. And like Mm -hmm. you said, that guard converted and was baptized and his whole family was baptized and that was the consequence of it and maybe that's the only you know consequence that god intended was that another person was converted it wasn't to break them out of prison but i think that gets to a comment that marcel made in his post as well where he said you know we need to have room to express our struggles and express our hurt and our doubt without fixing but just to be there. And so we need to have this safe place to go to just like have somebody who is a Silas and have somebody who's just like in the midst of it with us and not necessarily needing to fix it. And I mentioned Jesus and and his relationship, but I think he has a Silas. He has somebody. That's Simon of Cyrene. I love him. He's my guy. I could do like Mm -hmm. an entire podcast just on Simon of Cyrene, but I won't. But in the midst, yet, yeah, (laughs) I won't yet. 
But in the midst of Jesus's suffering, who is right next to him carrying the cross? It's Simon of Cyrene. Now, I won't go as far as saying he's taking joy in it like Silas is because he's probably not. He's actually probably very afraid um, because the Romans pull him in to help this prisoner who's being led to his death. But he's there to help Jesus. And nowhere does Jesus say, like, you have to have it all together. No, he actually says, I came for the sinners. And nowhere does he say that we have to do this by ourselves. In fact, he says, take up your cross and follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple. And then when we see his example of when he's doing that, when he's taking up his cross and following the will of the Father, he's not alone. He has Simon of Cyrene. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is such a beautiful example of what a Silas looks like and who fulfills that role in our life because it's somebody who's there with us in the midst of the suffering but isn't necessarily there to be our fixer because Simon doesn't fix it for Jesus. He's still being led to his crucifixion. Nothing is fixed there, but he's there with him still. Amen. So what do we do with all this, Kara? Maybe you're listening and you're thinking, I feel lonely. I feel like the person Marcel described in his post. I feel like I'm lacking these meaningful relationships. What do I do? Where do I begin? Um, How do I find what it is you're describing? How do I find these four people I need to have in my life? How would you answer that question, Kara? Yeah, I mentioned in the introduction that we don't want to talk about all of these roles and leave you like, I want that, and then super discouraged because you don't know how to get there. And I I really do not like the response when somebody comes and says, I left because I wasn't being fed, or I just can't find community in the church. And our natural response is like, well, if you can't find the community, then just make it. I don't like that response because... We can't be somebody who's making disciples if we've never been discipled ourselves. That's just not a fair response. And so I think there are a couple practical things that we can do to just start. And the first one, yes, of course, we're Catholic, is prayer. Mm -hmm. We have to pray to the Lord that these people will be brought into our lives. Or maybe they're already there. Mm -hmm. And we just don't recognize that this is the role that God wants them to play for us. Yeah. Yeah, adding to that, Kara, I, I just want to say that praying works. You know, yeah. pray so you, you think you don't have a Paul in your life. Pray that God would send that Paul to you or help you to discern if that Paul is already in your life. And don't just stop at the prayer, but be open to that process of discerning and God showing you who that person might be, even if it might mean at some point the awkwardness of I've never really had this happen because the Lord is, oh, the Lord has always honored those kind of prayers, at least from my experience. But even if it means, hey, you recognize somebody that might be that person for you, maybe it means reaching out to them and saying, hey, could we get coffee sometime? Yeah. You don't even have to say, will you be my mentor? You know, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. That, that, I recognize that's awkward. So that that is actually not my advice. But go out to coffee with them and let the Lord work. I think it's also important that we don't expect it to happen tomorrow. Because I actually didn't even recognize that I needed a Paul in my life. And then Fred, over the course of probably two years, I mean, you said it wasn't even until I like actually gave you that invitation, like tell me what you think, that that really started developing more into our friendship. So it took like two years where Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, I actually have this person, this mentor in my life. And so we can't expect it to be this immediate change that we now have it tomorrow. But start praying about it and start or start discerning if they're already there. Mm -hmm. And then that will grow. That relationship will grow. Yeah, because I think oftentimes these people are in our lives 
And that's where that prayer and discernment comes in. Mm -hmm. Another practical answer to kind of move forward in having these roles fulfilled in our lives is to go where these people might be presented in our lives. Sitting in your dorm room or sitting in your house, they're not just going to walk up to your door and knock. I mean, they might, but it's very unlikely. So put yourself in those situations where you could meet those people. Now, I'm not going to say this means go out and serve your church. Go be a catechist. That's not at all what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But if your parish is offering like a young adult night or something where you could meet people who could become these intimate Catholic friends, go. Um, Just go and put yourself out there. I just think of this in my own life where I was in college and had I not kind of stepped out and gotten more involved and by involved I do not mean you know volunteering but going to mass and going to a retreat for college students I wouldn't have met this woman who became my mentor in college and you know asked me to apply to be a youth minister had I not been a youth minister I wouldn't have gotten my current job I wouldn't have met Fred so it's like stepping out of my comfort zone very much set me on the path that God wanted and that brought those people into my lives into my lives. I have multiple lives. She's a cat. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, But that was so necessary was to step out and to really place myself in those situations where I actually could meet somebody who could become a mentor. So it almost sounds, Kara, like relationships were the open doors. They were. Yeah. I mean, we're always praying for God, open this door, open that door. I've prayed those prayers. I hear people pray those prayers all the time. But sometimes... Those doors are relationships, probably more times than not. So, Yeah. Well, and our parishes don't always jump in and offer these things. So if there isn't something like that in your parish, I would say a practical tip would not be to start it. Because like I said, this isn't, a, this isn't about like go create that community if you don't have it. But go tell somebody in your parish, whether that's your pastor, your parish leader, that, hey, I would be interested in doing this or in attending Mm -hmm. And I think that can actually be really encouraging to the parish leaders because so often I think they're discouraged by like, nobody would be interested in that. So I'm just not going to do it. And I actually have experience with that when I was in college. I think I was a junior or a senior. I went to my pastor and I recognized that we do not have a college community. But I went to my pastor and I said, hey, I would really like to start this college night. And I was told no, because... He didn't think that there was enough interest or he didn't see enough college students at mass to think that anyone would want to do that. And so Mm -hmm. I was told no. So just going to somebody and saying, I don't want to start it, but I would come and I would love it might put that bug in their ear like, hey, we're missing an opportunity here. Right. And if you're a parish leader listening, I would challenge you to step out, to recognize that this desire is actually there. People are hungry for this kind of fellowship, this kind of these kind of relationships. And it doesn't matter how many people turn out. I would challenge you. The Lord said, feed my sheep, not count them, yeah. first of all. Um, I did a, a Lenten retreat once. It was a two and a half hour drive. There was a blizzard, bad weather, and I think only like eight to 10 people turned out. Um, you know, and the pastor kept apologizing to me that I had driven that far for this retreat, and only that many people showed up. And I and I told him, and I and I mean this in all sincerity. If you're a parish leader listening, recognize that 
young people especially, they are hungry for these meaningful relationships. We all are. We have to change to if only one person came, it would still be worth it. Mm-hmm. It would still be worth it. And so you, so I'm going to shift back to you listening. You are worth the effort, and, and people need to know that you're hungry. So if that's you, you're, you're longing for these kind of meaningful re- relationships, they need to hear your voice. They need to hear you say, I would like to do this in my parish because I want this community. I want these relationships. I have one more um, kind of personal tip, if that's okay, Fred. Yep. Um, I have had experiences in my life that I look back and I deeply regret, where there were potential Timothys who approached me with questions about the faith or wanting to know, you know, how did you get through this and this? And and in my ignorance and in my immaturity, I didn't realize that God was placing that person in my life for that reason. And some of them are no longer Catholic. And I don't think that's solely my fault. I pray it's not solely my fault. And hopefully God can work in my sin and my ignorance in that. But I never want that to be you listening. I never want you to feel like I don't have somebody in my life who fills these roles. I don't have somebody in my life who can answer these questions. And that leads me to leave the faith. And so if you feel comfortable, reach out to us. If you have questions about the faith or if you are looking for somebody um, to kind of walk with you, reach out to us. Put your questions in the comments. So I don't know if you're okay with that, Fred, um, but I'm going to put that out for myself because I just recognize that I've made mistakes in that and I never want that to happen again. Yeah. I mean, it would be a disservice, I think, for us to come on and talk about how important relationships are and not conclude that way. Kara, I think anyone that knows the two of us well knows that relationship is at the core of everything we do Mm -hmm. and we try to model it we try to live it and there's nothing more impactful than having these kind of friendships these kind of meaningful relationships in our lives it's what makes a difference it's how we live out our calling well we are all trying to get to heaven we're all trying to love him know him and serve him be happy with him in heaven but guess what we can't do it alone. The gospel message itself demonstrates that we are dependent upon God and we can't do this alone. We need each other. 